When you went to Adams, you might have been called a spaz or a dork or a geek. Any of you that have ever felt stepped on, left out, picked on, put down, whether you think you're a nerd or not, why don't you just come down here and join us? Hello and welcome to this episode of Game On Girl, the podcast where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. In this episode, we're going to recap why it was good to be a geek in 2013. Joining us is our unflappable editor, Ryan Broom, previously heard on episode five, Secret Geek Shame. And then finally, we'll do our wrap where we talk about what we've been watching, reading, and playing. So stay tuned, and we're glad you're listening to Game On Girl. Many of us remember a time when we hid our geeky passions, when it wasn't something you talked about in polite company or bragged about on your favorite social media outlet. There was a time not long ago when being a geek meant searching all over town for a comic book store, finding the single solitary shelf of graphic novels in Barnes & Noble, and making your own geeky decorations or t-shirts because there was nothing anywhere to be found along the geeky lines. But things have changed. Great geek stuff is everywhere, and I mean everywhere. Geeky themes and ideas can be seen in every medium, TV, movies, music, web series, and all kinds of Buy Me Now products. Clearly, it's a good time to be a geek, and we're so very happy about that. This week, we're going to talk about some of our favorite geek-themed shows and communities. Please keep in mind that these are our favorites, mine, Rhonda's, and Ryan's, and we would love nothing more than to hear from you about all the geeky stuff we don't know about. So let's get started. Where do you guys want to start? What, what do you want to talk about first? There's so stuff. much. <laughs> stuff. <laughs> There's so much stuff. <laughs> so much stuff. I think with advertising and commercialism, that is uh, an immediate thing that you see that's surprising that they are actually targeting with game references, with game terminology. I've never seen so many gaming commercials, intricate commercials, and uh, with stars, familiar stars. I mean, it's just, it's, um, the marketing for Christmas is going to be really, really fun to watch. Yeah, that was one of the first things I picked up on was last Christmas was going to Target and finding just a huge selection of Angry Birds ornaments and Star Trek and Star Wars and superheroes. And then it continued through the year. Uh, Valentine's Day, there was, you know, Star Wars, Valentine's. Like, I, I got a heart with uh, Darth Vader on it. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I got a Darth Vader bunny at Easter. So it was Darth Vader with, like, bunny ears on and a little tail. Nothing yeah. says Easter like the dark side. <laughs> exactly. Well, they have cookies, right? That's right. <laughs> so I was just delighted to see that kind of making that next step into, you know, consumer products and, and stuff that's sort of readily available. Well, going off what Rhonda said, the uh, commercials for the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4 that have been playing all over television are just phenomenal. I, I, when they come on, I just, I get really interested and watch it and I get all excited and uh, check it out and I'm like, hey girls, check this out. You know, they look at me really weird. I mean, really well done advertising. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they have a lot on the line, both both Sony and Microsoft for their for their new um, consoles this year. So true story. It makes sense that they're they're upping their game with their advertisements for that. It's a it's a 
a line drawn in the sand at this point because it's they're both coming out at the exact same time mm-hmm. and people for the first time are really re- able to sit down and contemplate a or b right right and and weigh the um the choices because i mean it, it, switching consoles is not that big a deal because there really aren't that many there aren't any games that you're going to be losing right you know well, if you buy a new console, you'll be losing all your old games if you don't have your old system anymore because none of those are backwards compatible with the old system. Really? Is that true? You can't I, play? I, yeah, I'm pretty sure that you can't oh, wow. play any of the old games with the new systems. Wow. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying. Oh. If, if you've got PS3 games, um, they're not going to play on the PS4, oh. so it, it's a great time to get an Xbox. Yeah, yeah. yeah I see what you're saying. Yeah, That makes sense. Yeah, and then you can switch it up to and check it out. Yeah. Because, I mean, there aren't that many games out right now for either system. Right. So it's going to be a whole new reinvestment next year anyway. Right. Well, that's the thing that that always kind of mystifies me about the people who are early adopters for new Mm -hmm. consoles is you pick it up and there's, you know, two or three games at launch. If you're lucky, there's two or three games at launch. Yeah. But there are two or three, you know, powerhouse games yeah. that they're hoping will keep you interested long enough to have the new stuff come out. Right. Get new con- new content out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My friend Ray got his Xbox on release day and he downloaded uh, Assassin's Creed Black Flag and he's very, very happy with it. Awesome. Yeah. Which is good because, I mean, the, the the franchise is really good. So Yeah, that's I, I've heard. I haven't played that franchise, but I've I've heard nothing but good things about it. And is it Assassin's Creed that has a female hero in their next? It's supposed I to, I think. I believe so, yes. I think it is Black, it's Black Flag, isn't it, that has yeah. the, the female um, pirate main character. So Along with the, um, the uh, Christmas ornaments, I actually just finished buying my mother her birthday present. The first of December, and I got her Plants vs. Zombies Garden Gnomes. <laughs> oh, are you oh, nice. serious? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That's a little fair. zombie and a little pea shooter. Oh man. I mean that that's um that's geek in the mainstream. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Garden gnomes. Geek in your garden. And, and and another thing that that I noticed with and I, I Candy Crush I think just highlights this, mm-hmm. but the Facebook games and the social media type games that we've talked about, um, I think for the first time I noticed, especially with Candy Crush, how that game is turning everybody into gamers mm-hmm. with a language. Now, I know this has been going on with Facebook, but the apps on the phones are more important, actually, than the Facebook. Because as far as I know, you c- can you play? I mean, when you're on your phone, you can get on Facebook. Right. But do you play games through Facebook on your phone? Yes. Oh, okay. That just seems weird. Okay. It still launches the app, but if you go to Facebook and you click on Candy Crush, or I'm assuming Candy Crush works the same way as like Bejewel Blitz does or Words with Friends, you right. can click on the app from within the Facebook app. Okay. And All it launches right. it. And then it launches the app. It takes you out to whatever the game app is. But yeah, they, they're they're linked back and forth to each other. And you can play them in a web browser too. So when you're on like your computer and you're on right. Facebook, you can go to all those games as well. Yeah. Well, I guess what my point was is that peop- I, th- I would venture to say people spend much more time on their phones than they do their desktop computers 
with mm-hmm. personal stuff and it is more of a social thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I ran into people who are playing Candy Crush that I normally would not have talked to about games. Right. I could not talk to about first person shooters and um, so those social games, especially becoming better and more attractive on the mobile devices, I think are blurring those lines some more too. Well, and that's what electronics companies are banking on for their future period Mm -hmm. is, you know, the lack of desktop, you know, and everybody carrying around a mobile phone, whether it be an iPhone or an Android or a Windows phone. Or a tablet that does a lot of the same things. Yeah. And that's why there's so much integration between your systems now where you can hook your phone up to your Xbox and control YouTube that way. Right. So they're trying to, to integrate the technologies with each other, which is the reason why they launched Windows 8 is because it's supposed to be, you know, a touchscreen platform, which I'm sure would be great if you had a touchscreen computer. But when you're working on a regular computer with a touchscreen interface, it's just yeah, yeah. frustrating. Complicated? Yeah. <laughs> it, <is. laughs> it doesn't work like you want it to. You're like, wait, what? I yeah. The first time I touched Windows 8 on a tablet, I was just like, huh? <laughs> what, what, what? It's not necessarily that um, we're promoting Target by any means. Unless they want to sponsor the show, you can contact us at Rhonda <laughs> at GameOnGirl.com. <laughs> but um, it, it would be interesting to see what kind of pulse they do have on their demographic. Um, I got a good story the other day about a friend who was on his way to work, and it was his day to bring um, bagels to work, and he was going to swing by the Target grocery store nearby and pick up a thing of juice and then head on over to work. And he gets there and he's, you know, like five minutes early and there's a line outside and he's like, okay, everybody's waiting to get in. And right before the doors open, an employee comes out and says, are you a pre-order? And he's like, what? For for orange juice? (laughs) And the guy goes, no, for the Xbox. And he's like, oh, it's like, how long ago would it have been that people would have been in line outside of a major national retailer for a gaming console? Yeah, yeah, as opposed to a, a gaming store. Yeah. Right. Well, I think it really, you know, the Xbox 360, the PlayStation 3. I stood outside in line, you know, late at night for the original Wii. Um, mm, froze yeah. my butt off for that. Yeah, well, there, there weren't very many. I remember, right, when they first launched right. it, it was, it was a very small launch, too. I mean, just in numbers of consoles. Right. Oh, that's right. And that was before you could really do internet pre-orders, I think, even. So you really did have to, like, be at the store at the moment it opened to get it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can understand that. And you made mm-hmm. reference to um, uh, making your own geeky T-shirts t- and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I went out to Etsy today. They actually have in the handmade section, if you want to shop for handmade goods, they actually have a geekery category. <laughs> nice. With over 21,000 products that you can select from. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. And and they have great stuff. I mean, yeah, there's just fun stuff to find on Etsy. Yeah, th- that's the kind of stuff that um, the gamers themselves are making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they really hit home. Yeah, there were these I've, I, I've, I've coveted, but I haven't bought. There's this one um, shop that makes um, like these flowers and then the center of the flowers are gaming dice. Oh, yeah. Like I've got clips. one of those. Yeah, they're really cool. And so oh, I've, I've looked beautiful. at them for years, but I've, I've never actually purchased one. But I've always been like, oh, those are so neat. So there's always like fun, fun stuff. Well, do you guys think that you know, the the way that geek is coming into the mainstream, do you think it has to do with the the generation um, and how it's shifted in a way? Just because, 
you know, the generation that's buying the majority of goods now are the Atari, Commodore, mm-hmm. Nintendo generation, or even the stand-up arcade generation. Yeah, I, I think it definitely, I think it definitely has to do with that, and it has to do with some of the other things that we have, you know, listed here to talk about today too. It has to do with the way YouTube has grown and the way web series have grown and how that's exposed people to things they wouldn't have necessarily been exposed to, and that's all the same generation that's doing that, that's creating that content and that's bringing those shows around. And I think that all of that kind of links together to that, you know, that is, <laughs> if we're going to talk about the demographic for Target. That's the people who are shopping there. (laughs) It's a true story, yeah. You know, and I've actually seen statistics that say, you know, people who have a college education are more more likely to shop at Target than any other store in that kind of group of stores. Target is the place that they go for that. And so I'm sure that they're aiming at that as well, that that's part of what they're thinking about. So Yeah, and I think Target came in um, right at the right time, like as a store. So mm-hmm. if you think about the stores that came in before that, not, it's probably different uh, in your area, Rhonda, because it seems like the stores we have are never like the stores that you have. <laughs> They're always different yeah. names, but the same there company. Are. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like Kmart and Shopco, uh, those kind of stores, you know, didn't really benefit from this particular, um, I guess, geekdom purchasing. Right. Uh, you know, and then Target came in and that's, you know, Black Friday, you know, blew up at those stores. Yeah. The lines were yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, it it hit right at the right spot and then and has continued to grow because, you know, they have an agreement with Geek and Sundry where they sell the tabletop games. Um, So everything that's featured on tabletop is available at Target, which I, I love and hate at the same time because I love it because it makes it, you know, available to people who don't have small independent game stores available to them. But at the same time, it also takes away people shopping at small independent game stores. <laughs> Do you think it does? I mean, I don't know. I think, I think the people that shop at uh, small independent game stores, you know, that's a specific clientele. Yeah. And I would say they would probably still go to their local game store um, as opposed to going to a Target. Yeah, they might. Yeah, I would, I would definitely try to support a local game store because, I mean, we can't keep them here. We've had a couple start up and and they've failed and i mean we've gone to buy games trying to to support them but it's just it's hard to stay above water yeah well and it's a hard it's kind of like a coffee shop yes it's got that same thing where you know half of what a a small independent game store does is create a community for people to meet other gamers and to game and half the time that means having people in your store who aren't buying things Exactly. We're just there to play. Like, you know, you go in and buy a $2 cup of coffee if you're, you know, able to yeah. buy a $2 cup of coffee and not a <laughs> 4 or $5 cup of coffee. Do and they then have $2 in... cup of coffee anymore? <laughs> Only if you get regular brewed coffee right. <laughs> and a small size. <laughs> So it's the same thing where it's like, you know, oh, you might spend a little bit, but then, you know. And you've got a, a good local game store then, there, don't you, Regina? I do. I have a great game store in um, the Selwood area of Portland. It's called Cloudcap. And I absolutely adore it. And I'm lucky because I have a friend who will pick up games for me there. So (laughs) even if I'm unable to get down to the store myself, he'll pick them up and bring them. And and so I can still get them from CloudCap, even though I'm not often able to make it to the store in person. But I've gone there for game days and it's always been great great fun. I've actually met some really great friends from people who I met at that game store. So cool. It's it's Great. Game stores are cool places. Uh, I never spent a lot of time in them, uh, you know, when I was over in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
you know, Mark, you know, definitely spent more than enough time in, in those type of places and met some really cool people. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, actually. There, well, there are people who automatically they want to socialize right. because they want to be around a board game with other people and they're right. looking for people to play with. Right. And and people who have similar interests and are interested in those games. I was thinking about that. I was actually at the supermarket today and I had a Mayfair Games bag that I <laughs> groceries yeah. in. And I've had times where I've had um, other video game bags and I've had the cashiers like look at me like, you have a Call of Duty bag, you know. <laughs> and I've actually had them ask before. They're like, you know, Call of Duty. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a gamer, you know. And so I was kind of I was kind of curious to see if the person might ask about the Mayfair bag. But of course, it's, you know, several days before Thanksgiving. So <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that uh -oh. didn't happen. <laughs> there was no chatting at the at the checkout today. <laughs> That's right. Get out of my way. I want to buy my food exactly but i was thinking about it i'm like you know what if somebody did ask me about that and i'd be like well you know there's more it's more than likely that that's a whole world of games that they don't know yeah right. exactly so well and if we if we continue talking about media and you guys have already touched on i think the the roots of where a lot of geekdom came from i mean geeks were some of the first ones to or to really fully embrace the internet and um, explore what they could do there and start boards mm -hmm. about the things that they loved. And I think that's part of the propagation of uh, the, the social culture of mm -hmm. geekdom because, I mean, all you have to do is look at the guild and where it has gone to. Yeah. And and what it has done, you mentioned the YouTube channels. Right. Well, that's that's one of my favorite manifestations of geekdom right now. Mm -hmm. YouTube. Yeah, yeah. And looking at the, I mean, just the overwhelming selection of what you can watch on YouTube and, and the quality and the content is just booming. And, and that's been fantastic. And, and my favorite example of that for this year was the, the two channels uh, that PBS has started launching digital content. And so they have two channels that I absolutely love, which is the PBS Idea Channel and the PBS Game Show. And PBS Game Show talks exclusively about games and video games. Oh, nice! And they're and it's fantastic. And content is snappy. It's on target. They're and they're fantastic. Both those shows are fantastic about engaging the comments they get. The end of each show is you know they just go through a bunch of comments from the episode before. Oh, cool! And so it's a really nice way that they're building community through, you know, this format. And, you know, people make fun. I don't know. People really make fun. But PBS is kind of behind the times sometimes <laughs> with, you know, fundraising and, and different things that happen. So to see them creating such great digital content that gets such a fantastic response is really, I think, it's really kind of marked a shift, at least for me, in looking at what's available in yeah. and on YouTube. I went to a concert uh, a couple weekends ago. And it was a, you know, not a huge band, but they, they showed a short film of, you know, how they created their album. And then they played a concert after the um, documentary, which was cool in itself. But in between the two and in between songs of their concert, they took Twitter questions, which <laughs> oh. was absolutely awesome. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's, That's just fantastic. Yeah, it. it really is. I mean, there's so much that can be done. And, and for, you know, for something that wants to build a community, being able to take those comments and comment on them in the middle of a show or mm -hmm. in, you know, a sequence of uh, episodes that you're creating for your web content. It really does make the viewer feel like they're part of the discussion that's going on. Yeah. Right. And that's a huge shift from just, you know, flipping on the TV and watching Frontline 
on PBS. Right. So it's all, it's all about personal touch. I it mean, is. You can, if the audience feels like they're a part of your show or your concert, you know, webcast, uh, YouTube channel, they're gonna come back. Yeah. Because you know they like that you like them. Yes. Well, and it's also a, a richer experience for information. Yes. Because more than more than likely there are more than there's more than one person in the audience asking or thinking the same question. Mm -hmm. And so immediately with the same number of people still present, immediate questions and information gets disseminated that really gets lost later when you, you, you're never going to get hold of that audience of 200 or 400 or a thousand again. Right. In any in any really efficient way, mm-hmm. and to have all those questions brought up and that information brought up immediately, it's like bam! Now you've got four hundred people who are immediately going to leave here and tell two people, you know, right. right, right. Well, and it takes that moment in time and creates a community through it. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and I I don't know that we've ever had the tools to be able to do that before this, before Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and, and the way these social media have evolved. I don't, I don't think there's ever really been a platform for that kind of instantaneous community building. Cause then, you know, the people who are talking to each other, I've done this at, um, Emerald, not Emerald city at PAX East. I, you know, followed a bunch of people who I was having conversations with during, you know, panels that we were at, <laughs> We're talking about the content that's being presented, and then all of a sudden you you know gain a rapport and you start a conversation that continues long after the panel's over. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's just the spread of good mm-hmm. good ideas and good thoughts from people that are like minded. Exactly, and it's inexpensive. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you don't. You may not have the equipment to shoot the video. And uh, there were people that were asking that, you know, is your panel at Dragon Con going to be videoed and and put on YouTube? I didn't have that set up, but I've been to plenty of panels where I've seen some of my favorite artists who are in uh, Washington State or in Oregon, and they say, well, I'm going to be presenting in Colorado. If you'll follow this hashtag, you can see what I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. And it's like, you know, that's... that's immediate. I'm not getting the full experience, but someone's going to the trouble to at least sit there and tweet and it didn't cost anybody anything. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And then you still get to be part of the conversation and at least gleam part of the information that's presented. Yeah. It's just too cool. Well, and the adoption from, you know, artists and things like that, where it used to be so standoffish, we don't want to give anything away for free. Uh, you look at uh, the iTunes Music Festival, yeah. you get some great concerts that are, you know, absolutely free to watch. Uh, if you subscribe to to that through iTunes. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the most empowering things about the internet in general. I had thought about that when I launched the show, you know, should we talk about the gamer types? Because what happens if somebody goes and tries to like do something nefarious with my gamer types? And then I was like, well, I mean, it was the, the heart and soul of my dissertation. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, there was no way I could get around that. But what I've seen instead is people saying, oh, this is great. And have you thought about this? And what about these you know, as options? And have you thought about expanding the ideas? And that's been more energizing than any other, well, any other moment I ever had in grad school. So, Yeah. <laughs> or just the other groups that you guys have talked to on the show that are doing, you know, pretty much the same thing, mm-hmm. maybe a slightly different topic, but then you, you guys get them on the show and you interview them. And it's really fun to listen to, you know, the two sides of why you do it. Yeah, exactly. It really. Well, 
my approach in, in looking at um, why it was great to be geek in 2013, I w- of course, I my favorite mediums are television, movies, and books. And I was curious to compare um, to compare decades and compare, you know, what's on the top 10 list, what's the movie to see, what's on the bestseller list. And um, one of the things I looked at, television to me is is one of the ones that can keep a quicker heartbeat mm-hmm. on what the trends are, that, because they've got a they, they've got a faster turnaround time than film does. Right. And before self publishing, um, it was also faster than than getting a book out and getting a trend started with um, a great piece of sci fi fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I started noticing more and more geeky topics. Um, a while back, but if you go back just 30 years, and this is um, a swag, at, I think at best, considering my research probably lasted about an hour today. Um, <laughs> in the 1970s, uh, uh, the, of the top uh, about 50 shows, there was um, over 50% of them, almost 60% were comedies, mm-hmm. 30% were dramas, and there was about 10% sci-fi mm-hmm. type stuff. That has doubled for sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And that's not counting some of the um, science fiction fantasy related uh, reality television. Because reality television has taken a dramatic chunk. Right. Of, yeah. Out of just general TV watching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Yeah. The, and yeah. <laughs> yes. Much of the time. Um, yes. The comedies have dropped um, significantly. They've dropped down below 30%. But... Um, reality television has gotten equal to sci-fi fantasy and it's 20 percent but i mean i that's only in 30 years Mm -hmm. that that kind of changes happen i thought that was pretty cool i mean we've got we've got things like um of course heroes of cosplay Mm -hmm. just to mention one of the reality shows almost human just came out supernatural's been on for several seasons um and this is just regular network television it's not even count cable Right, you know. exactly. Yeah. And if you go to the Fox, if you go to the Fox Network channel, they actually, if you list, if you just pull down their list of shows, they actually have a section in there specifically for Comic Con. Really? Oh, that's cool. Yes. Oh, that's fantastic. Where they have all kinds of videos and interviews and articles listed. It's just for Comic Con. So that's it- on a. That's a major network. So then it website. shows all the promotion that goes on, all the panels and different things you can watch. Um, I didn't look at a bunch of the videos, uh-huh. but the, I mean, it's whatever Fox covered. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. But they've got their own, they've got their own site. Hmm. I, I know. had no idea. Well, and the quickest way to future proof your, your network is to get them while they're young. You know. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Fox and especially um, the CW, the CW predominantly has the most sci-fi stuff. Yeah. Um, and well, that's that like should the say experimental something. channel, right? That's like the, let's throw this on here and see what happens with it kind of channel for <laughs> but that. But it's also the youngest demographic. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, those are the, those are the, your kids growing up who didn't know that there were days when there were no computers at home and there were no cell phones. Yes, there were. There are still living people that didn't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're taking our jobs and feeding us at McDonald's. Well, do you have any experience with that, Ryan, with uh, with young people in your house who, who may have uh, been born as digital natives rather than digital immigrants like we are? <laughs> well, it's hard to tell whether it would have come naturally or not because I'm such a digital person myself. Mm-hmm. Because that's what I do. Right. Um, and but... we're so very thankful that you do. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you're, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> it's my pleasure. You know, watching, you know, electronics through my kids is amazing. I love it. I remember back to when, you know, I played Atari and, you know, Nintendo. My mom would come in and try and play. And it's like, Mom, jeez, you're not doing it right. You're moving all over the place. And, you know, <laughs> now I walk into a room and trying to figure out how to get through um, Zelda together. Nice. You know? So, you know, and that, that's a lot of fun to try and troubleshoot games together. And, um, you know, it's just a, a fun time in electronics, you know, as a parent. Right. It makes it a bonding experience then. It does. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes I come in and she's whooping my butt at a game or she'll beat a game like 10 days before me. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm getting old. <laughs> this is how it happens. <laughs> Slowly but surely. That's right. <laughs> a lot of the parents I talk to talk about how amazed they are at how naturally kids pick this up. Mm. Is Did you witness the same kind of thing, Ryan? Uh. Yeah, I mean, you know, my daughters are definitely much better at uh, different kind, different kinds of games than I am. You know, it's a lot of them being like the iPad games and the phone games and things like that. I watch them play. And I'm just like, huh? <laughs> you know, I don't get it. But they're just, you know, zipping right along and enjoying every minute of it. And uh, you know, I, th I think that's just a difference in in taste and in generation. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to games, yeah. I play completely different games than than both my kids. But you know, some like Nintendo is kind of the the buffer. Yeah, well, it's a good Nintendo reaches everybody pretty much. It does. Yeah, which is one of its strengths. I just I I know that um, when I was teaching uh, beginning. Uh, computer classes, teaching Microsoft Word and stuff at the um, the library, uh, free classes for the community. And the majority of the people that were taking the classes were older adults. They were like, my kid got me a computer or my kid's bugging me about getting a computer. And I know that one of the things that mystified them the most was the mouse. Yeah. Really? And yeah. Early they, on, sure. Yeah. Yes. They have the hardest time with a mouse. Um, the mouse scares them. They don't know how to push it. And they, they want to rest their hand on it so hard that they're constantly pushing the buttons on it. Either that or they won't touch it and right. they just push it like um, a button on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> or they, um, they bounce it up and down or they do these huge slides across the screen. Yeah. <laughs> And then I go to my girlfriend's house who's got um, a, a toddler and they've got her one of these great big toddler mouse pads. And she's sitting up there just zooming all over the place playing a game on the website. Mm -hmm. yep. And yeah. there, there's something, it's interesting, I think it's something about understanding or being familiar with the technology or not being afraid of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's a, actually a key part of it too, is the the willingness to be open to the new t to new technology just in general. Yeah, what comes out, what adapts, what changes. I remember uh, my first cell phone that was going to have a touch screen, and I was like, I don't know about this, you know. So I was so scared that I had to make sure I had a a slide out keyboard. Yes, <laughs> which ended up being really handy because the touchscreen died before I could get rid of the phone, oh. and so I ended up, you know, depending on that slide out uh, keyboard at one point. But yeah, the first iPhone I ever bought, uh, the touchscreen didn't work. 
It was the very, very first iPhone. It came. I hooked it up. I got it all registered, and nothing would happen when I touched the screen. <laughs> it was the most aggravating experience. Yeah, I was like you, Regina. I refused to get a touch screen. I was like, no, I got to have that keyboard. I got to feel it. Yeah, exactly. I have, I have to be in touch with this, and I, I, I don't know about this. And I and I thought about that. I mean, I love my iPhone now, but when I first saw an iPhone, I'm like, why would anybody want this as their phone? <laughs> And, you know, and I felt like I felt like a curmudgeon at the time. I was kind of like, oh, God, I'm falling behind. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to snap. Wait. I, yeah. But I'm an Apple fanatic, so. Yeah, you know, there's. It's, the... it's unfair. <laughs> Not quite the same uh, uh, category of, of user, I don't think. <laughs> Probably not. When Sorry. did you get your first um, get your first cell phone, Ryan? Do you remember? Yes, I do. I got my first cell phone. In I want to say 1997, and I was oh working my God. at. Uh, I know. Really? Holy yep. cow! 1997. It was a you know a, a flip flip top phone. I mm-hmm. thought it was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. But I look back at them now, and I'm like, what? And how did I ever use that? If yes. I can email from my phone and search the web, you know, <laughs> how did I ever use that. And uh, I actually keep an old one. Um, Actually, I keep the phone I had right before I got my iPhone, uh, just so every once in a while I'll pick it up and giggle just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so remember, I do that too. <laughs> when did you get your first one, Regina? Oh, I was, I was, oh God, almost a decade later. I think it was 2004, 2005 oh. when I got my first. And I only did it because I was, at the time, I was commuti- commuting to, to teach adjunct. And I was driving to a school that was 70 miles south of where I lived and then one that was 90 miles north Goodness. on alternating days most of the time. I did actually have one semester I taught at both schools on the same day. <laughs> Gosh, that was unpleasant. And I had an incident where I was um, I was being harassed on the highway when I was driving home from a night class. Like oh, somebody no. was trying to like drive me off the side of the road. Oh, nice. And I was like, I never want to be alone. I'm like, this is stupid. You know, this technology is, you know, available and it's reasonably cheap now. I need to just go get a cell phone. And that was my, my motivation finally to go get a cell phone. And my and it was not, you know, anything sophisticated. It was probably the same phone you got in 1997 with a <laughs> slightly nicer skin on it. <laughs> Back when they didn't turn them turn over new models as frequently as they do now. Exactly. No, no, no. Exactly. no. It, was, it was a different time back yeah. in yeah. – well, even – when you got your first cell phone, Regina, they were it was just a different industry. Yeah, it was. Until, you know, Apple came out with a smartphone and made it cool. Yeah. Then, you know, everybody before that had a had a Blackberry and if you had a Blackberry you were like a stockbroker. Yeah. You know. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that was my first smartphone. Smartphone was a BlackBerry Pearl, which was the worst phone I ever owned. Oh. It was yeah, a- I didn't hear much good about those. No, it just it it, it had the same thing. I, I bought that one and then I bought the next the next BlackBerry up from that, which was, I think, a called a curve. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And they both ha- ended up with having the same problem where the same issues that went from the Pearl ended up on the on the curve as well. And I was like, that's it. I'm not buying another BlackBerry again. So what was the issue? Um, the, it just kept crashing The the, the oh, okay. OS would, would give out, like it would run beautifully for about six months. Hmm. Then you'd start getting little crashes here and there. And then the next thing you knew, you couldn't make a phone call. You couldn't send texts. You couldn't do anything without a crash. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It was just a, it was a nightmare. Those are the worst, worst phones ever. What about you, Rhonda? 1999. I got it right before Y2K. Oh, wow. Oh, Yep. You yep. were afraid it was, was going to like come alive and eat you or anything on Y2K? <laughs> no, no. But we were prepared. We uh, we were ready to bugger out, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I actually took a picture of my computer screen when uh, it rolled over. It did roll over to, what was it, 1976? I think so. Yeah, I think that was the year. So, yeah, my computer did that. So I had to reset the clock and update it and everything. Yeah, I was working at IBM that year. And, and that was the one year that IBM didn't give the Friday after Thanksgiving off because <laughs> yeah, they had to make sure that all of everything got updated before... <laughs> Yeah, or the dangerous Y2K hit. Exactly before the before the end of the the most that at that time the most recent end of the world came. That's right. Yeah, there was a lot of work to be had for geeks in 1999. There sure was. There was a lot of stuff to do. Not that there isn't now. Right, but everybody yeah, gets to see it now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, can't even keep up. <laughs> well, my other favorite thing is movies. Right. And I think once once movies catch up, they they tend to have a more uh, dramatic impact um, than the television. Although I love I love how popular television is now. They're just um, they're just really booming. But I look at the top 20 selling movies so far in 2013. Um, 12 of them are sci-fi fantasy. Yeah. And eight of them, four dramas and four comedies. Yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised about that at all. Yeah. And that's not even counting. The Hobbit's not even out yet. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. and you got to look at the advances in movie technology. Special yep. effects have really driven that. I mean, people want to go to these theaters and see, you know, an amazing show, which... You know, it's great. I love special effects, but sometimes I think it's, you know, at the expense of the story. Yeah, when I it agree. Comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah, I agree that that they they spend too much time and and but the the sci-fi that that lasts, that lingers, that we continue to talk about is the sci-fi that's focused on good storytelling. Right. You know, or or a story that, you know, was brought from a previous series, you know, like yeah. Star Trek or Star Trek, yeah. you know, things like that Star Wars, uh, even though, you know, Disney bought it and they're remaking or, you know, doing a, a sequel. Yeah, people continuing are go the see story. It. Yeah, they are. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll go see it just for for more morbid curiosity, if for nothing else. And there's well, probably a a larger number of superhero movies now than before. Yeah, yeah. Well, they remake them like every year now. Yeah, <laughs> they relaunch each superhero every year. Yeah, actually, that's um, uh, you can actually trace the resurgence of superhero movies back to um, 9/11 to the attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. That yeah. it was about a year after that that superhero movies started to become standard fare again, um, which, you know, coincides with, you know, the superheroes, those superheroes that we know and love all came out, almost all exclusively came out of World War II. Yeah. Superman, Wonder Woman, those are all World War II heroes. Captain America. Captain America. Yep. All of that comes from that generation. And so when our country is kind of in these times of war and chaos and threat, superhero movies surge. Well, it's nice that they pull in, you know, somewhat modern day, like wartime scenarios, like with that. Yes. I mean, with the Avengers, uh, you know, I mean, Captain America was definitely t- took place, you know, back in his origin. But right. you look at uh, like Iron Man. Iron Man. I was just thinking of Iron Man. Yeah. 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 Was a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, for those films, the for the films this year were superhero films. Yeah. So I have a question for you guys when it comes to geekdom and movies. Since Rhonda brought it up, what do you guys? How often do you guys rent movies at home through either you know iTunes or Amazon? 
or on demand on cable, are you more likely to rent it at home or go to a theater? Home. Yeah, home as well. But I'm not likely to rent it, though. I'm, I'm more likely to wait until it comes out on a free streaming service. <laughs> or not free, like Netflix or something like that. I found myself buying Blu-rays of movies only if it has a digital copy, just so I can have it um, mm-hmm. you know, on demand whenever I want. Because I'll never mm-hmm. go to the bookshelf and pick up the Blu-ray but if it's on cable, I'll sit yeah. there and I'll watch it. And, you know, my wife will look at me and go, you know, we own that, right? I know, but it's <laughs> not on right now. Yeah, well, that's how I feel about, um, like, my Buffy DVDs. I I would never pull those out. I'd just pull it up on Netflix and watch it there. Yeah. Oh. No. Yeah, see, th- we're we're a little different because our DVD collection is the same kind of thing. It's they're some of our favorite shows, favorite movies, um, things like Wreck-It Ralph and WALL-E. And when we're working during the day, and we, we both happen to be working from home today, we will stick one of those DVDs in just in plays in the background. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I do that all the time constantly. with streaming. I do that all the time with streaming. I'll turn on well, a show that see, I'm See, we don't do with. the streaming because it interrupts with the internet. Oh. And we're both working online. Uh, and so we stick in DVDs. I envy you guys. I can't watch a show and do work at the same time. I'll, <laughs> I'll just stop and be like, oh, this show is so good. It, it, <laughs> Well, we've got to be, yeah, we definitely have to be careful. I'm very strategic at what film I stick in because my husband will completely lose track if I stick yeah. in Casino Royale or something like that. Is He's a goner. So yeah. if, if he's really having trouble concentrating, I'll put in Legally Blonde or Tangled. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't pay any attention to that. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I can only do that when I'm doing certain kinds of work. Um, there's some stuff that I do that it's very repetitive as an online teacher. And when I'm doing some of that, I sometimes I have to just to like maintain my sanity because it takes me so long to do some of the things that I have to do. But if I'm doing anything like engaging um, writing responses or reading papers and stuff like that, I can't have anything on in the background that has words in it. No. Yeah. Because I will kick into transcription mode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I will start typing what they're talking about <laughs> instead of what I'm trying to say. It's so kind of annoying. It is. I can't even listen to music that has lyrics and, and do any of that kind of work. It yeah. has to be, if I'm going to do that, it has to be, um, you know, classical or, you know, jazz music that has no, no lyrics to it. Yeah, I'm the exact same way. If I if I'm writing code or I'm doing research, um, it doesn't matter what's playing on the background. Mm-hmm. But if I've got to read a technical document or do some writing, I can't. I, the words I'm listening to the words. I right. can't listen. I can't think in my head and listen right. to me too. <laughs> yeah, I know some people who write with audiobooks playing in the background, and I'm just oh. like, oh man, are you serious? How can you do that? I don't understand, like, how that's supposed to work. That's amazing. Yeah, I just did. Okay, well, you brought up books. Yes. So this is um, the last uh, bastion of media that, that I was going to talk about. And it, it seems like it's funny because a lot of us have a very rich sci-fi fantasy background mm-hmm. from from the very beginning. But if you look at things like the New York Times bestseller list, um, that it's actually very thin. It's it's actually kind of drowned out by the Browns and Pattersons and Grishams. Yeah. Um, if you go to like the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Now, I went to Amazon and I looked at their top sellers for 2013. Mm-hmm. And they actually had four uh, science fiction books 
hmm. in their list of the of the fiction. They there were eleven fiction books. Of those, there were four sci-fi on New York Times bestseller list. In the top twenty, there was one. Hmm. And interesting. Yeah, and I I'm wondering if the electronic medium of shopping on Amazon is hitting that demographic that shops at Target. I was just thinking the same thing, yeah. That that those two tend to it perhaps are linked together somehow in terms of uh, their demographic. Yeah. And and that in I mean, I hate to kind of admit this about myself, but I can't remember the last time I went to a bookstore. Yeah, that's why they're all closing. I know. I know. I mean, we had a really nice Borders that was here in town and it's gone now because it's just, you know, completely gone. But I I, I just don't I just don't do that anymore. And the only time I can think of like walking past a display of books is like at the airport. Right. And then all that's available at the airport are John Gershom and, you know, <laughs> yeah. that kind of, you know, sometimes there's, you know, they usually have like a couple of literary choices or whatnot to choose from at the, you know, airport bookstores. But that's the last time I can remember actually walking past a display of books. And see, and I love uh, going to the bookstore. I was there this past weekend, but I never buy anything. So you're still part of the problem, Rhonda. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, bookstores are an experience. My wife, you know, our borders closed uh, here as well. And that was like one of the worst days of my wife's life because she loved that place. Mm-hmm. I mean, she would actually go in and buy stuff. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, bookstores are a great experience. It's like going to a coffee house right. instead of going to the drive through You go in there and it's, it's an atmosphere. Right. And, you know, a lot of times you don't buy books but you love being there. Right. And they're expanding. They're changing. I mean, now they have a huge gaming section. Yeah. And then they've got the Nook and they have a huge uh, graphic novel section. Yeah. Well, I do remember the time when, you know, when I first found Neil Gaiman and I was trying to, you know, devour as many of his graphic novels as possible. I remember going to my Barnes Noble and there was a single shelf of graphic Mm -hmm. novels. (laughs) It was almost heartbreaking at the time. (laughs) So it had, but that has changed. That whole culture has changed and the acceptance of graphic novels and comics as true literature or things to be appreciated and enjoyed has, has shifted as well. I was just going to make the tie back to um, the movies because Mm -hmm. a lot of the, the more popular movies um, we've recently got had uh, the hunger games come out with its second Mm -hmm. piece uh, the Hobbit's coming out with its second, mm-hmm. and um, I just read Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. I read this year. Uh, Warner Brothers bought the rights to it, mm. and so there's there are people recognizing these exceptional stories, yeah, and the people who are keeping up with that. Of course, uh, the geek culture has always uh, been akin to literature because I mean that you know spectacular uh, stories and um, pulp fiction and stuff like that is where a lot of sci-fi was the only place that ever lived. Right. Um, But I'm glad to see that it's getting a resurgence. I mean, if you go to wired.com, which is not really a surprise, but they have a section, uh, geek life, I mean, game life, geek mom and geek dad section. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They have some fantastic stuff on there. Yeah. And Omni magazines rebooting. Really? Hmm. Yeah. They right now they're a website only, but they're they're I think they're working on trying to get it in print. Hmm. Well, again, I think you go back to, you know, the advances in technology, especially when it comes to movies and sci fi books. Uh, You know, they just it wasn't that easy before. It was super expensive for them to make a well done science fiction type story Mm -hmm. or it would take a really long time. They didn't want to, you know, the studios didn't 
didn't want that kind of a budget. So it was just wasn't possible. But now with you know the ad, you know the advancement of computers, there's you know you can make it in your basement. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think also with with movies and the way sci-fi was impacted, I think the Lord of the Rings made a huge impact on that market as well. Because they saw oh, that yeah. that people were were willing to extend a story over three movies, mm-hmm. you know, which which right. hadn't been done before, and you know, oh, we're taking this you know work of literature and making it into this, and then worse from that, everybody wanted the extended versions of the movies anyway. <laughs> 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 so that just showed that. You know, they had, I think the movie industry had like this basic idea of, you know, oh, we have to keep everything in this formula that's been working for so long. And thankfully, we're able to break out of that a little bit. Probably more surprising than Wired Magazine is when I did go to the New York Times bestseller list, they have their books. You can get, you can search by category for their bestsellers. They actually now have a graphic novel and an ebook category. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And interesting that they're considering ebooks sort of a separate thing. I wonder if that's by books that are only published in electronic format or if those are ebook versions of print books. I don't know. That's a good that would be a good question. Yeah. That's, the ebook only publication is just really small, although yeah. Stephen King's done it. Right. So I'm I'm curious. Hmm. I see research being needed. <laughs> I only had four hours. <laughs> And then I had to play Borderlands. <laughs> priorities, priorities. Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> well, that's pretty amazing. It is. Actually, if you look back at the year, it's been it's been a good year to be a geek. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. I agree. Well, if there's anything that we missed, and there are some geek things that uh, you guys especially loved about 2013 or that has uh, come along in your life and made it great to be a geek, be sure and let us know. All of our social media contacts are on our website. Well, we're going to wrap up what we've been watching, reading, and playing. And it's always great when we've got a guest who can stay on and talk with us. So Ryan's going to uh, chime in. And we always get some uh, great recommendations. Regina and I usually are always on the same vein. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. We have a lot in common in terms of this (laughs) this segment. Yeah, and I'll go ahead and and just throw out what I'm watching is is not anything new. I'm getting caught up on the current American Horror Story Coven. Uh, Fascinating storytelling. I've heard really good things about this season three of that show. Oh my gosh, there's so much going on. It's just amazing. I can't. I can't imagine how they're going to the end it. And apparently they're going to do kind of a different ending than they've done in the past. But mm-hmm. um, it's very exciting storytelling. Um, catching up with Dexter season seven with my friends. I've seen it all, but uh, they haven't. And started over with um, New Girl in season one, actually, uh, with my husband. We sat down the other day to eat dinner and couldn't think of anything to watch. And so I just started playing season one. And it reminded me of of how funny it started out as. Yeah, yeah, and it lost its thread. I haven't, I've yeah. just dropped this season. I got so sick of, Yeah. it just, it became about nothing. Yeah, 
Just, I mean, there was even one moment in one of the episodes of this season where they're like, what's going on? And I'm like, God, I wish I knew. Yeah. <laughs> With the show, I wish I knew. <laughs> it's sad when they fall apart like that. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Especially when they started out so strong. And so, you know, the chemistry and the kind of interactions mm-hmm. were great. And then I started questioning myself. So I'm glad that you're rewatching it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and they're, they're that. very talented and had very sweet moments and mm-hmm. really hysterical moments. And... All of that is just kind of kind of gone. So. Yeah, yeah. It's just become a gimmick now. The whole show is just a gimmick. And yeah, what about you, Regina? Uh, I've been continuing to watch Fringe. I'm on season four. Good. And um, anybody who's watched it, you know, they're parallel universes, and season four is where the the bridge is built between the two. So yes. they're interacting with each other, and I I love one of the one of the things they did is they had the opening credits in blue originally. Mm-hmm. And then when they were in the alternate universe in one storyline, the credits would be in red. Yep. So you knew you were going back and forth between the two. Yeah. And now that it's season four and there's a bridge between them, the opening is amber. So I was like, that's pretty clever, actually. Yes. I'm pretty impressed that they, you know, that they kind of thought that through because visual cues like that are really powerful and really helpful for your, you know, your audience. So. I love J.J. Abrams. I know, seriously, you know, he just he does some really good stuff. So I'm I'm pretty impressed with this, which makes me I haven't started watching Almost Human, but I do want to kind of jump in and watch that as well. I have a DVR. I haven't gotten into it, but yeah, I'm recording. Yeah, it's it's one of those that I, I definitely want to check out. And I w- did you guys see the Thanksgiving episode of The Big Bang Theory? Yes. New. <laughs> yes. I know Ryan doesn't watch The Big Bang Theory because we talk about it too much. Uh, <laughs> no, that is not it. I just, I've, I didn't hear about it until too late, oh. and I'm waiting for it to hit Netflix or something so I can start from so the beginning. Do. I hate jumping into series when I don't know a lot of the backstory. Yeah, and you can't yeah. really. Yeah. This is one of those. I mean, you know, sitcoms used to be episodic, but this is definitely one that you have to know. Yeah. You have to know the evolution of the characters to really enjoy it. But um, I thought the Thanksgiving episode was just absolutely delightful um, yeah. and really well written. And just uh, there's something about I, I won't spoil it because I know it's still it's still new. It was only out last week. So <laughs> say, but there's a scene with Sheldon that uh, just Sheldon and Amy that I just absolutely loved. So, yeah, definitely watch it. <laughs> it's worth it. Yes. What about you, Ryan? What have you been watching? Oh geez, the list is long. Um, I I'm a Showtime show fan, a uh, big fan of Dexter. I've been watching uh, Homeland, which is a series that they started two years ago, uh, which is just an amazing an amazing show. Uh, I've been watching football, which is completely love football. I love football now too, and I don't know why. Weirdos. Maybe it's just because the Seattle Seahawks are doing so well this year. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> I find myself just sitting down and watching football and chilling out, which is Nice to relax yes. and watch football. But yeah, as far as series go, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, the Showtime stuff. And, you know, I'm looking forward to Almost Human uh, when I get a chance to actually sit down and watch the recorded episodes because um, I love J.J. Abrams and his work. Yeah, it, it's it's we saw the first two episodes. It's it's got potential. It's definitely got personality. Yeah. Well, you can I, tell I that they, just from the previews. Yeah, I just hope they beef up the female characters because right now they're kind of sad. Well, an interesting connection to that show, the the guy who made the intro uh, to that show also made the intro to the two Star Trek movies that J.J. Abrams did. Oh. Uh, and is a, you know, I'm a big fan of his because um, he does a an internet channel that shows you how to do like effects and things like that. And 
It's called videocopilot.net. Amazing guy. Just excellent with After Effects. Cool. I'll have That's to look nice. at that. I love watching credits. Yeah. Um, and opening. Uh, the, the most brilliant opening I, I ever saw was for um, Casino Royale. That was just. Oh, yeah. Well, the Bond movies are famous for that. <sighs> For, for like using that time artistically and that's just like long long standing tradition for Bond films yeah, yeah Skyfall the intro to Skyfall was amazing yeah. Skyfall's on um, I think it's Skyfall's on Netflix now it is yes yeah, it is so I have to watch Netflix. it because I didn't get to see it when it came out so it's, a it's great on Amazon movie. as well yeah I'll have to check that yeah. so what have you been reading Rhonda um, I finished up uh, Coming Clean, uh, which was a, a sweet little memoir. And so I immediately started Night Film by Marisha Pessel, P-E-S-S-L. Hmm. Is that the way you would say it, Pessel? Yes. Yeah, that's Thank what I would you. think. <laughs> Marisha Pessel. And she's actually from Asheville. And uh, Night Film, it's, it's, very, it's very well written. Um, it's about a basically c- kind of an heiress who commits suicide and an investigative reporter uh, who goes to investigate it because he's not convinced it was suicide because he suspects the family itself of um, just very, just various uh, nefarious um, acts and, and crimes. He believes that they've, there's things about witchcraft and, um, abusing children and different things like this. So they're just a bizarre, bizarre family. Uh, the father is a very famous horror form, horror film director. And the girl who commits suicide is his daughter. And the reporter mm. um, had uh, gotten an anonymous tip that was supposed to expose this director, um, some of the crimes that he's committed, and he was fooled. And so he was just... Um, his reputation was ruined and no one would listen to him. And so now he's investigating the daughter's suicide in hopes of actually finally digging up the truth about the director. Um, it reminds me a lot of girl with a dragon tattoo. Mm, interesting. Um, which I, I think the similarities are just a little too much. Mm. Um, same author. No, 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 no. Oh. La- Lars, um, the, um, what was his last name? And, I know it begins. I think it begins Stigman. with Yeah, I was going to say it begins with an S. Yeah, like that, he, yeah, he he's dead. Um, he passed away. Um, Marisha Marisha is um, is a new author. Um, the other thing about it is there are these extremely uh, graphic um, explanations and descriptions of things that yeah. make it sound like a real a real cheesy uh, gumshoe. TV show, (laughs) but her writing is mature. And so she'll go on with these descriptions about how the bed sheets are tangled like roots choking my neck and stuff like this. Mm. But at the same time, the storyline is very complicated and there's a lot woven in there and it's a page turner. Right. So I think she's got lots of potential and it's a, it's very It's a fascinating story. So. Cool. Even though it was a bad description on my part. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Regina? Uh, Well, now that I've finished with my crack. um, Yes. I've (laughs) gone back to the series I was reading before that. Um, It was The House of Night was my crack series. um, And so I finished and got caught up with the most recent book for that. I went back to the series I was reading before by Tamara Pierce. 
um, the Immortal series, which was Dane's story. And, and Dane is the um, kind of the mage who's able to speak to animals. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah. So I went back and I'm reading the last book in her in her um, series, uh, which essentially the basic idea in the, the story is that everything that's been leading up to this book and all of the experiences that Dane has had so far are all because the gods are at war with each other. Oh, okay. So essentially the good gods are fighting the god Chaos, who's trying to infiltrate the mortal realms. So Chaos is trying to to break through the barrier between the mortal and immortal worlds. And right now, Dane is actually in the immortal world. And so she's she's like looking and seeing and actually seeing the impact that this like war is having on the immortal realm, which will inevitably affect the mortal realm as well. So she's trying to get back to the mortal realm to warn them that this is why all this kind of crazy stuff has been happening. So it's a really interesting gimmick in this book because because she's in this immortal realm every every creature that she encounters is a god oh my god <laughs> Divas. <laughs> yeah so you can't kill anything because even if you kill like a fly then it immediately comes back to life because it's a god so yeah, yeah too many cooks in the kitchen <laughs> it's a little it's a little crazy so um but it's been it's been a fun story and an, an interesting journey for her so i'll be curious as to see where where it sort of comes to an end so cool yeah that would be really frustrating with mosquitoes in the summer if they were all gods it really i know right i mean that's exactly what happened Man. in the story <laughs> she was bathing in a in a lake and she was getting attacked by you know mosquito and she killed it and it came right back to life <laughs> it's like, oh. bummer yeah well, what about you ryan are you reading anything well you guys are my reading heroes um, <laughs> as i edit the podcast every week i i feel really lazy about my reading but uh i'm a big fan of audiobooks so i hope that counts yes. oh yeah That's... okay good uh i'm an i'm an audible subscription person uh and i am uh, i bit the bullet and i am going through the game of thrones books regardless of where the series at which i know uh regina was trying to avoid that scenario herself yeah exactly yep um but i'm the audio uh, audio book's good though it really is the the reader for that that book and i can't think of the guy's name off the top of my head but uh, is does an excellent job with the voices mm-hmm. um but i'm actually and i didn't say it when i was we were talking about what were we what are we watching i'm also rewatching the HBO series at the same time. Oh God! I don't Didn't have a problem with it. Did you listen to me talking about how bad that was? <laughs> I don't mind. I, I find okay. the uh, just the differences in the story kind of fascinating. Uh, it's going to be a problem when I get further into the third book and I find out what hasn't happened yet in the series. Yeah. Well, that's that's what I was reading the book of the the season that was on. Oh, okay. And so I was like going back and forth between like and and everything's out of order in the TV series from the book. So I was like, what? Wait, wait, that doesn't what is happening yeah and there's a lot of stuff that happened at the end of the second season of the series that didn't even come up until the beginning of the third book Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i mean it's an interesting contrast but you know i look at the the same way as you know when i went and saw catching fire you know and the differences that from what was in the book yeah but it's it's kind of two different stories with the same characters yeah, exactly. I, I, I tend to look at it, movie adaptations of books as, you know, if they honor the book, like like they can change the story and they can add and, add and like adapt it because I don't think books are, are, are novel stories are really good 
movies because there's usually right. a lot of detail. There's a lot of exposition. There's a lot of stuff that happens in books that you don't want to watch in a movie. So much inner monologue. Yes, exactly. And and you don't want to weigh a movie down with that. So if they can keep the flavor and the sense of the book and the story that's being told, which is why I always thought Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings was so good, was because he added things in and changed things and removed certain characters, but it yes. kept... The, you know, it honored the book, it honored the story that was being told. So that's like, that's how I look at it. Like, okay, can you represent this book in a movie and, and keep the, you know, the essence of the story, essentially? Well, like recently uh, listened to the Hobbit uh, audiobook uh, before the first movie came out in the series, just to be curious, you know, how the movie's going to turn out. And the book was so vague that, yeah. you know, they could, <laughs> oh, they could add yeah. so much detail, you know. I don't well, know he if had all of his movies. other writings, too. He had the Samarillion that he's pulling a lot of these pieces from as well. Right. So, yeah. Which is cool to see that they yeah. can do that. Exactly. Yeah. The only thing I didn't like is the some of the dwarfs that they cast didn't really seem, you know, ugly enough. No. That's would be the way to put it. Uh, yeah. They didn't seem earthly. <laughs> Yeah. Some of them seemed a little too pretty. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I would totally agree with that. I mean, from the descriptions in the books, you know, they're sort of gruesome characters. And yeah. the same is true as of the imp in Game of Thrones as well. Right. I mean, yeah. Yes. I've noticed that, that he yeah. is much more mangled in the book. Yes. He's much more mangled. He's His face is much more disfigured. He is, he's, you know, and he's attractive. I can't think of his name, the actor. But he's a very attractive man. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. But well, his character yeah. on the show is amazing. Yes, it is. You can you can tell that the uh, story has been been run over by Hollywood if uh, images of the dwarfs are posted on Pinterest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't think of the name of the lead dwarf, but the one with the dark hair and yes. oh god, he is he's a good looking guy. <laughs> Have you had much time to play anything, Rhonda? Um, well, I you know I'm excited to be back in my hometown and actually be near my gamers and so last weekend i did get to play board game we played castle panic oh yeah with the um wizard tower wizard's tower expansion yeah very challenging it's it's just a riot awesome um we love that game it is it is a really um good game for the holidays it's another one i'd recommend it even without without the expansion Mm -hmm. um, it's even easier to teach yeah it's pretty straightforward and I've just now really been getting into the uh, Borderlands 2 expansion, Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon's Keep. Mm-hmm. And we're having fun with that. Awesome. So, well, Tiny yeah. Tina's awesome. So. Yeah, you yeah. really can't get any better than Tiny Tina. Yeah. 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 Nothing new. But no. what about you, Regina? Uh, I had a game day this last weekend with my, my gaming group. And um, we played a whole lot. We played all day. We started at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon and played, I think, until 11. So we played a lot. But the evening ended up uh, being almost exclusively dice games, which was kind of interesting. Ah. And I played a new dice game I had never played before um, called Strut. Um, which is, it's kind of poker, but with dice. Oh, interesting. Yeah, How many was, dice? Um, lots of dice. <laughs> Wouldn't that be Yahtzee? No, no, because you have in your hand, so you have a hand of three cards, and each one of your cards has a different poker hand on it. So you can have a full house, or you can have um, two pairs, or, um, three of a, or three of a kind, you know, that. And so you're trying to get those numbers to come up on the dice that are being rolled and that one die is black and you have to use that black die in your hand to you to play your card 
So if you have three of a kind and there's three sixes and one of them has, you know, the black six and you have three sixes, then you say strut. You have to be the first person to say strut. And you say strut and you slam down your card and you get the points for however many dice are out. Mm, okay. And it's kind of like Texas Hold'em a little where there's, you know, there's some cards that everybody that everybody's playing on and you're yeah. trying to, you know, come up with what's in your hand. And it was a really interesting dynamic. And one of the things that's really tricky about it that sunk me, I mean, <laughs> I've, I've rarely <laughs> done so poorly at a game um, and enjoyed it. A competitive game that I enjoyed playing that I did poorly at. So <laughs> if you say strut and you don't have it, it's minus 30 points for you. Ouch. Yeah. And your your point your, your your mission in the game is to get to 30 points po- 30 positive points um, and once you get to 30 then you don't have to take any more cards and the first person who's out of all their cards wins the game oh. so it's not really about the points that you're getting it's way more about getting rid of your cards in a timely manner and not screwing up and saying strut when you don't have strut three times like I did <laughs> <laughs> three times <laughs> I also ended up getting really shafted with the cards that I had because a lot of the cards are like make two eights or make two elevens so you can just add the dice up to make them. Mm-hmm. I had at one point in my hand all cards that required at least five or six dice on the table to be in very specific orders. And a lot of times people, you can re-roll the dice that are on the table so you can get like two, two-thirds of the way to your hand and someone will pick up you know a pair that you're waiting to you know say strut for and re-roll them. So, yeah, it was a little painful. It was fun, but it was painful. <laughs> so I can recommend it. It's a good, um, it's a good fast, smaller group. We were playing with five people. I think it was a little a little much for five people to be playing one game of. But it's a, it's a pretty fast, pretty fun paced game. So And we ended up playing Garden Dice that night, too. Oh, Introducing excellent. some friends to Garden Dice, which, which is a great game. People haven't checked it out. So. Oh, and a little bird told me that Doug is uh, working on a new game. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Can't say anything about it. Oh, man. <laughs> You're such a tease, Rhonda. Except for that yes. little tidbit where now everybody's going to be wondering. Exactly. Thanks a lot, Rhonda. <laughs> yep. Look for, um, uh, what? what's the name of his game company? Oh, I can't remember. Meriday. Meriday. Yeah, Little yes. Bird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. What about you, Ryan? What are you playing? I have an excellent recommendation for the both of you. Oh, uh, <laughs> Pin in hand. So when they introduced the iPhone 5, uh, they demoed a game called Clumsy Ninja. And it is basically, I can't think of the name of the little eggs that kids used to get where you could basically have your own little virtual pet. Oh. Uh, Tamagotchi. Yeah. Out there, Tamagotchi pets. Yeah, I think yeah, they were. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a, a ninja Tamagotchi with extremely awesome graphics. And um, it's kind of, I think what they call ragdoll mechanics. So you, you know, train this ninja and the whole premise of the game is you know you get a ninja that's not quite good he's a clumsy ninja (laughs) and you have to train him and make him better (laughs) um and you do it through trampolines and punching bags and like throwing objects at him and um you basically progress to the temple which is you know as of right now at level 100 and you know you've trained your ninja all the way up so they introduced this year and a half ago and they said oh it's gonna be out in december it never showed up oh it it just you know i hate when that happens i know it's just like what happened and it was like this huge mystery and last week poof it came out (laughs) it was it was available in 
uh, some country that was not ours. And <laughs> I was like, ah, and and it's an awesome game, and I highly recommend it. It's free. Wow. You know, oh, it has wow. it has in app purchase. Unfortunately for Rhonda, it is only for iOS. It has oh, not come it? out. It is. It's only a exclusively iOS at the moment. I don't know if that will change, but uh, it's. Oh, Rhonda has an iPhone. Oh, yeah, I have an iPhone five. Yeah. Oh, well, that's what I play it on. So it works. It works just fine. But it's a, a great little game, and you know, it has in-app purchase stuff. It's not super in your face. They they do a little bit of advertising. You know, oh, you can you know get this now for this many gems, and of mm. course, you haven't earned that many, so you have to go buy them if you want it, but. Right. You know, just like Plants vs. Zombies, you can play through the whole game so far without having to worry about any of that. And it's not so obtrusive that, you know, it's popping up like, you know, ads all the time, you know, in your face, which is really nice. Um, and I continue to play World of Warcraft um, off and on. I'm currently on a World of Warcraft hot streak. So, oh. you know, when Are I, you going to get the new expansion when it comes out? Probably. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd say no, but I've, you know, been a liar every time I say that. So I just... <laughs> <laughs> not going to say anything this time around. And so I can't since I can't seem to suck any of you guys back into it. Um, <laughs> and I have tried. Yes. But, I've been uh, close, but I almost so, had you. You did almost have me. I was on the brink. So you are playing or are you looking for someone to play? No, I am playing. I play with oh, okay. uh, my buddy John who I work with. Um, but you know, we used to have this pretty active guild and now it's just yeah. the two of us. Yeah. <laughs> We we had finally gotten up to actually having ten players, and then had like it half all of fell left. apart. Yeah, <laughs> and then all of a sudden it was just three people. Right, it and I would sad. have to say, while we're talking about games, uh, a few weeks ago I had the the pleasure of hanging out with uh, Regina, and I am constantly jealous at the games she pulls out and makes me play when <laughs> when I'm over at her place, and it's just so much fun. I can't remember any of them, but they were awesome to play. Uh, when we- it was a yeah, it was like Dungeons and, Dungeons and Dragons was yeah. one of them. Lords of Waterdeep. Yeah. That was the one was we played Alhambra. Yep. We played something else, too. What else? We played Suro a couple times, right? We did. Yeah. Yeah. We did play Suro. That was, that was the last one we played, I think. That was the last one we played. Where we all disappeared. Yeah. Everybody flew off the board. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good. That's a good. That was a good selection of games to play. Yeah. Of course, Mark, Mark was like, I don't get Lords of Waterdeep. I don't understand this. And then he won. <laughs> and then he, I'm not. He didn't just win. Dominated. He like trampled us to little like you know powder on the ground. Yeah. yeah. Does, does he typically have beginner's luck? Who Mark? Yeah. Uh, he's a good strategy game yeah. player, regardless. So it what, it doesn't really take much. Yeah. He 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 hadn't had great luck over the time that he was visiting. Um, it had actually made him a little cranky. I think that. <laughs> He hadn't. He had a really bad luck. The first game that we played of Alhambra, he he just couldn't get it to work right, um, and that's a tricky game, you know. And we had we tried to warn him about that, but um, and then I think once he grabbed a hold of the strategy for Lords of Waterdeep, we were just sunk. Oh yeah, he was lapping people around this board that yeah. was you know just an extremely long board to begin with. And yeah, he, was just... he like had 176 points at the end. It was ridiculous. So and, and Regina beat me. I tried. I was one tile away from <laughs> surpassing her for second place, but <laughs> yeah. And we end. were like fifty or sixty points behind what Mark had. So yeah, Gosh. yeah. It was it was an impressive ruling for sure. But it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It is. It was it was definitely a lot of fun. So 
Yeah, I, I only ask because I tend to have um, extremely good luck, beginner's luck, uh, when I don't know how to play the game. <laughs> <laughs> and then once I figure it out and think I'm trying to get a strategy, I just can't win after that. And then you start overthinking it. Yep, I do. Yep. Yeah. And, and I'm currently downloading Clumsy Ninja as we speak. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I won't be doing that right after the show. <laughs> that thing is it's it's the cutest little bugger, I swear. I mean, they did such a good job with the, you know, the tune that you just, you know, you love the little ninja. You want him to do good. And, you know, that's sweet. You want him to get better. You do. (laughs) Now, do your kids have any personal mobile devices, Ryan? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) They live in my house. Of course they do. Uh, Yeah, they both they both have, you know, first generation iPad minis that we got them for Christmas last year. Um, And they spend, you know. My oldest spends her entire life on that thing, not necessarily playing games. She's gotten really into watching um, like screencasts of games and Minecraft. live. Yeah, well, not just Minecraft, just a ton of different stuff just mm-hmm. to watch. I mean, yeah. it baffles me because it, you know, if I had to do that, it bores the crap out of me. Yeah, there's it, actually um, the PBS game show has a whole episode about people watching people play games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, crazy. I applaud her for it. Mm-hmm. I just. It, not for me, for sure. But yeah, they both they both play those and uh, do they do electronic readers? They no, they're both pretty strong uh, book readers. My wife is a big physical book fan. I mean, she loves books, yeah. just just the way they are. And she does read some stuff electronically, but uh, we have lots of books, and the girls pick them up and read, which is nice. It's nice that they uh, don't live on their electronic devices all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely good, especially because there's kind of a tendency with this generation, I think. Since I fight them in class, much like you probably do, to keep them away from their phones. Well, and the point I was going to make up earlier when we were talking about it, you almost have to be a geek these days to survive pop culture. Mm, yeah. You know, and especially if you do anything with the younger generation, you have to know what you're talking about. Yep. So, you know, it's nice that it's in the mainstream. So that way it's not such a huge struggle to, you know, hold a conversation with somebody that's, you know, 10, 20 years younger than you are. Yeah. That's true. That's really a strong point, actually. It is. Yeah, it is. Well, you see why we have guests on. They (laughs) they make us so much smarter. They do, seriously. We appreciate Ryan's recommendations for our wrap this week. And that's the reason why we would love to also have your recommendations for what you're watching, reading, and playing. Is there anything out there that we're missing? I love book recommendations and uh, any tabletop games, especially, that you're playing right now. And, again, you can find all our social media links on our website, GameOnGirl.com. You've been listening to Game On Girl. I'm the co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can follow me on Twitter at RoeRoom. That's R-H-O-R-H-O-O-M. Or email Rhonda at GameOnGirl.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz with two Zs, as I'm known on Twitter. Huge thanks to both Rhonda and Ryan for today's episode. It's a great topic and I think a great discussion on just the fantastic benefits right now of being a geek. So stay proud, geeks. <laughs> we rule. We do. <laughs> Don't have that secret geek shame. No. I've come a long way since episode five. You have come a long way since episode five. <laughs> to be on this episode, actually, that's a nice little acknowledgement of your uh, of your growth. <laughs> <laughs> Episodes of Game On Girl are available on iTunes and Stitcher Streaming. We also have an app for download available from Podbean for iOS users. These links, along with descriptions of the show, can be found on our website, GameOnGirl.com. 
This podcast is edited by Ryan Broom at Desert Tree Media, and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, game on! Game on!